Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's a wonderful blessing to be here at Advent Hope. One of my privileges of being a leader here at Advent Hope is I get to spend time with a church family that I love being with. How many of you were able to make it to GYC this year? Anyone? Oh, praise the Lord. I'll tell you, this year's GYC impacted me in such a way that it hadn't in times past. It was one of the biggest blessings. If I have time, I'll be able to share a testimony from GYC this year. The devil really tried attacking. I don't know if many of you have heard. I, was gonna share, I wasn't going to share this, but because of all the inquiries of Alistair, I guess I will. Alistair was typing on his computer, putting the finishing touches on GYC, when all of a sudden, mysteriously, he was struck with some, a, sort, a certain type of tingling feeling on his spine. All of a sudden, he lost feeling in his upper body, in his hands. And then later on, he lost feeling in his lower body. Couldn't move anything from his waist down. They brought him to the hospital. But during this whole time, Alistair remained calm. He was giving his brother directions. He was directing other people. This is what needs to happen. Here are the keys that need to be given. Here are what needs to be done. Everything this year went without a hitch. That's because Alistair did a wonderful job planning and preparing that even when he wasn't there, everything went fine. I spoke to Norman, as you know, Norman is a, is a uh, neurologist, and I spoke to him on the severity of, of the, what happened, and he told me that, you know, Mike, I wish I didn't know so much about this because it's that serious. The chances of him walking again are very slim. At GYC, we began to have serious prayer sessions. We'd pray for him, the entire GYC. We even had an anointing service Friday night with Mark Finley. And Mark Finley, he went to, to Alistair and he said, Alistair, God wants to heal you. The question is when. See, God works with what will bring the most glory to his name. Will healing Al bring the most glory instantaneously, gradually, or at the resurrection? Whatever the case, God will heal you, Alistair. The only question is when. Many of the nurses and doctors were puzzled. They would have meetings in Alistair's room because they could not figure out what was going on. At the end of the conference, we were happy to report that Alistair began regaining feeling in his hands and also in his feet, which was a miracle because to this date, to my knowledge, we still were not sure of exactly what happened. We see here that God was triumphant. The devil wanted to strike another blow, and I don't know if many of you have heard, but on the way back from GYC, another young man from Watch to Hills, he caught a ride with some people at the last minute, and when they were in Wisconsin, they hit a deadly blizzard, and their van hit someone else, instantly killing this young man. His name was Luke at Watch to Hills. If you look at his, Chester Clark put a uh, tribute to him, and if you look at his tribute, you could see that he was a canvasser, and you can just see this man loved Jesus. 21. We're living in some serious times, my friends. God is preparing for a people. He's looking for a special people at a special time to, pro to proclaim a special message. And I praise the Lord here that we at Advent Hope, we believe in those. We believe in those three angels who have a message for the whole earth who are proclaiming at the top of their lungs to fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. 
The story, the message today is entitled The Perfect Man. Several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, Julie Farnham, Tim Shives, a couple of us, we decided to go to the mountains. And when we were at the mountains, Julie came out of her car and she was excited and said, Michael, I got a joke for you. I said, okay. There was the perfect man, the perfect woman, and Santa Claus driving. Now, she didn't know I knew the joke already. And she was like, and they were driving. And they got into an accident. Who survived? Now, if you know the joke, the joke is supposed to go, well, we know that Santa Claus does not exist, and we know the perfect man doesn't exist. So obviously, the perfect woman was the one who survived. That's how it's supposed to go. But of course, I flipped it and said, oh, well, Julie, of course, the, the perfect man was the one who survived. She said, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to go. And she said, well, the one thing that we didn't know for sure is that the woman was driving because they got in an accident. <laughs> a few years ago, we, there was a survey taken. What is the number one thing people want in life? Surely, I thought people want to be wealthy. That must be the number one thing. Surely, they want to be healthy. It was Rockefeller who had amassed millions and millions in the 1920s and he had such a terrible health condition, he said that he would give everything he had just for a day without all the disease he was plagued with. Then I thought maybe the, what people want is they want to be wise and they want a vast majority of knowledge. Well, the overwhelming thing that people wanted more than anything else was to be happy. Now, usually... Happiness is deemed by the relationships that you have, particularly the marriage unions that you have. I'm going to read here from Adventist Home, page 43. It says, a happy or an unhappy marriage. If those who are contemplating marriage would not have miserable, unhappy reflections after marriage, they must make it a subject of serious, earnest reflection now. This step, taken unwisely, is one of the most effective means of ruining the usefulness of young men and women. Life becomes a burden, a curse. No one can so effectually ruin a woman's happiness and usefulness and make life a heart-sickening burden as her own husband. And no one can do one hundredth part as much to chill the hopes and aspirations of a man and to paralyze his energies and ruin his influence and prospects as his own wife. It is from the marriage hour that many men and women date their success or failure in this life and hopes for their future. Do you know that? It says here, according to the prophet, that many date the very day that they said, I do, as to whether they succeed or fail in life. Also on page 49, it says, marriage affects the afterlife both in this world and the world to come. A sincere Christian will make no plans that God cannot approve. So as we can see here, we, need, we want this perfect relationship. But the problem is that doesn't exist. A lot of us come from households or family backgrounds that we've been abused, whether mentally or spiritually. They say, I believe it's one in out of three people have been abused sexually. We come from broken homes. One out of two people have come from a broken home or a divorce. So obviously, the prospects of us having this happy life, it's, the chances are not very good, friends. But I praise the Lord we have this right here. 
I praise the Lord that we have this guidebook. I praise the Lord that we can study scripture and we can figure out how to be overcomers, how we can overcome any bond in this earth. So today we'll be looking at a few things, a few principles to help us to have victory in relationships, to find that perfect man. Let's bow our heads. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, it is the Sabbath, the special day or the perfect day that you have given us the day when we can contemplate over our relationship with you. Today, Lord, we are about to break open your word, the bread of life. And I pray for each person here that as we hear this word, that the Spirit will bring conviction and conversion, that, will that you will use my sinful lips, that I realize I am just a mouthpiece and you are the one who will be giving me the words from life. May I disappear and let people see the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ himself. I pray all these things in the most precious name in the universe, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go in our Bibles today and let's study the perfect relationship. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 25. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 25. And I'll wait for you to be there. Okay, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1 verse, actually 26. And God said, let us. We have here, it is a, a group activity. It's not just one person of the Godhead, but we see let us. Do what? Make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth so God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he them male and female he created them so we see from the first six days of creation God was making a masterpiece we were seeing in day one he was creating light we were seeing through the second and third and fourth day, when he was finished, you'd say, and it was good, and it was good. And finally, on the sixth day, after he makes male and female in his own image, he says it was very good. Now we're going to go and study this principle a little bit further. This is the macro view of the creation of man. We're now going to go to the micro view, and let's turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Bible reads, and, God, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I can almost picture the Godhead after they created water, that they are down on their knees and they get dirt and they are spitting into it and grabbing water and they are forming this perfect image. We see the head and they are forming the eyes and the nose and they are going down and forming the very toenails. And they are creating this being to be perfect. And finally, Jesus breathes into the nostrils and man becomes a living soul. Notice, continuing on in verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Notice that God did not just 
give idleness to Adam. He gave him chores to do and job duties and job descriptions. And verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may as freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now I have a question for you. We see that when God created the animals, when he created the dogs, the sheep, the goat, the lions, the tigers, we see that he created them all at once. He spoke and they were created. There was male and female. But notice something. God does something very different, very special. When he creates Adam, he creates Adam alone. Now, why do you think God created Adam alone? Well, after surveying this, my conclusion was God wanted Adam to fall in love with him first. God wanted Adam's first love to be him. God did not want any other relationship to precede the relationship between God and Adam. The reason why we don't have Adam and Eve created at the same time is because God specifically wanted, Adam, you must have a relationship with me. I will personally tour you the Garden of Eden. I will show you the animals. I will show you the trees. I will show you everything I created for you to have dominion over. Notice something also very carefully. Eve was not created yet when God gave instructions what you can and cannot eat. I began to think about this, and the reason why God made this happen this way is because, men, you are the priest of the household. You, are the spir- you lift up the spiritual standard in your household. And we see that God wanted Adam To be the one to witness to his wife, to share with his wife the spiritual things. He is to be the head of the household. Continuing on. Verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Remember, everything else has been, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is very good. Then finally we see for the first time, it is not good. Well, what is not good? It is not good that man should be alone. You know, before I came to Advent Hope, I, be, I, I heard a lot of rumors about Advent Hope. More infamous than Advent Hope was probably Advent Hopeless or Advent Nope. And I began, what, what does that mean? And I began to say, Mike, you see, there are people who go to Advent Hope to look for a spouse. And For whatever reason, those relationships aren't working, so many girls are calling Advent Hope, Advent Hopeless. I was like, whew, that's strong. Then I'd say, okay, well, let me go to the guy's side and ask them, hey, guys, you know, what's going on? I'm hearing these things, you know. I I was coming from a local church, and they asked me to to come on board in leadership here at Advent Hope. They said, well, you don't understand. You see, the, the, the ladies, you know, they don't do this, and they aren't submitting, and blah, blah, blah. That's why it's Advent Nope. And I began to think of myself, wait a minute. It is not good that man should be alone. God has this perfect unity. He has this perfect idea of the perfect relationship. And so when I began to hear about this thing, that's a shame. And, you know, by God's grace, I'm seeing that, you know, as I started to come, we have some, some more marriages in Advent Hope. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so we see here that God's ideal has never been to be alone. Now, let us understand something. There are certain people who are called, who are called, it's a calling to be alone. 
There are certain people who are called not to have a wife or a husband. But for the majority of us, it is not good for man or woman to be alone. Amen? So we see this purpose, and the reason for this is because when you are that close to someone, when you share life experiences, it helps you to see certain things in your character that you probably would not have seen without this person. They're able to, to help you and refine your character. Someone said it to me once, and they said, you know, Mike, you will never understand how much God loves the church until you get married. And then someone else said, and you will never understand how much God loves his own son until you have your first child. And so here we see this principle that God wants us to experience the relationships in heaven through the relationship made on earth. Now notice something in verse 21 and 22. And the, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Now, it's real interesting because in the first part we see that it wasn't Adam who looked around the garden and said, Oh, you know what? I'm lonely. Oh, I need a spouse. It was God who said, Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a spouse for you. I will do this for you. And at the same token, friends, what we can learn from that is we need to first fall in love with God. We need to first have a ministry with God. We need to first have an active relationship. And then once God sees that, then he'll say, okay, I can grant you this special someone now. This person will help you in your ministry. So now we see that God is the one who tells Adam it's not good for man to be alone. He caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. Now, what does sleep represent in the Bible? Death. Friends, we need to die to self. We first need to have an experience with the Lord, then we need to die daily. Once we die daily, once we have that experience, then God will do unbelievable things and we see here that in, in verse 22 that God took the rib. Now, why the rib? Why not the toe? Why not the fingernail? Why not the hair? Why not an eye? Why the rib? Of course, Spirit of Prophecy says that the reason why it was the rib is because it, it showed that Eve was to be one with Adam, that she was not to be trampled upon or she was not to be above. But also, more than that, the rib is underneath the arm and it's close to the heart. The same token, we need to understand that our relationships, men, you are to protect your wife and she's supposed to be close to your heart. Also, why did God put Adam to sleep? He could have just got a rib. You know, there's no sin at this time. I don't think it would have hurt if God just grabbed a rib, created Eve somewhere over there. Why did he specifically put Adam to sleep? That's right. The reason why he had to do that is now God wanted Eve to fall in love with him. God wanted Eve to have that relationship with Christ first before she could have a relationship with Adam. Friends, in order to have this relationship, the ideal relationship, God wants you and I to first fall in love with him, to first have a relationship with him, and then he will provide for your needs. Amen? So now we see that it's God's, God has Adam and he has Eve, and he puts them together. Notice something really carefully. When Adam and Eve sin, 
Who does God call out by first name? Adam. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Adam and Eve have sinned here. Both of them. In fact, Eve was the first one to grab the fruit. She was the first one to eat it. Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they are together here, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Verse 9, notice this. And the Lord God called unto who? Not Adam and Eve, but to Adam and said, where art thou? Men, you need to understand and realize your role. That you are to be a spiritual leader in the relationship. You are to be a spiritual leader in society, a spiritual leader in the church. The reason why I believe we have such a messed up society, a rebellious society, or a society where we have all these different problems, where we have feminism, liberalism, hiddenism, whateverism, is because, men, we're not stepping up to the plate. Instead of us producing a generation of godly men, we're producing a bunch of Homer Simpsons, a bunch of Bernie Macs, a bunch of people from the family guys. If you look at society and how they look at the man's role, they look at man as a little kid nowadays. And that has never been God's ideal. God's ideal is for men to step up to the plate. God's ideal is for men to be the one to lead in a relationship. You know, as, they were, as I was talking about it, it is not good for man to be alone. There was a cruel experiment done. In the 13th century, under Emperor Frederick, who ruled the Roman Empire, he wanted to know what man's original language was. Was it Hebrew, was it Greek, or was it Latin? He decided to isolate a few infants from the sound of the human voice. He reasoned that they would eventually speak the natural tongue of man. Wet nurses who were sworn to absolute silence were obtained, and though it was difficult for them, they abided by the rule. The infants never heard a word, not a sound from a human voice. You know what happened to these young infants? After seven months, they died. We need that interaction. God has made us to want that interaction with a, with a mother, with a spouse, with a friend. These are godly relationships that God created. So what is our solution here? We live in a sick society, a society where there are divorces, a society where men and female don't know their roles. Our solution lies in the Bible. I'm going to show you something here. I began to think, okay, so we live in a society where male don't know their roles, where women obviously have issues that they need to work out. What can we do about this? If we study the first part, we saw that God needed a relationship with Adam first. Then God had a relationship with Eve first. If we take that principle, let's apply it to a story. If you look at John chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, but we're going to be looking at certain principles. And we look at John 4. In these chapters here, Jesus Christ is going to be speaking to a specific person. In John chapter 3, who does Jesus manifest himself to? Who is it? Nicodemus, thank you. In John chapter 4, who does God reveal himself to? Woman at the well. 
Now, I began to look at this, and actually someone else pointed this out to me, but notice how Jesus Christ witnesses or interacts with these people. By the way, if you ever want to know how to interact with people or you want to know how to witness to someone, your textbook chapters is John 3 and John 4. The first thing, let's look at Nicodemus. What nationality was he, if you want to put it? He was a Jew. What nationality was the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. Okay? Now let's go ahead and look at the social classes. Or let's actually look at their, let's look at their, if they were a male or a female. We have in John 3, Nicodemus was a male, right? In John chapter 4, we see the woman at the well was a female. Okay, well, let's look at the time that Christ met them. In John chapter 3, Jesus met Nicodemus at what time? At night, but specifically, theologians look at it that it was probably midnight. Now, we look at the woman at the well. What time did Jesus meet her? About the sixth hour, which was 12 noon. Okay. Let's look at, let's look at their bank accounts. John chapter 3. Nicodemus, was he rich or was he poor? Rich, extremely wealthy. In fact, many believe that the reason why the gospel was, was able to get out was because Nicodemus and John of Arimathea gave everything that they had to the gospel. It was said, according to one book, I can't remember it off the top of my head, that Nicodemus could have funded the Jewish economy for 10 years from his bank account. Bill Gates cannot even fund the U.S. economy for one year. All right, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, what was she? She was poor. How do we know this? Well, at that time, that if you were rich, you had mates. And this lady was poor, and she probably did not want to interact with people. That's why she went out at 12 noon. Now let's look at something. In John chapter 3, do we have the name of the person that God is witnessing to? Yes, Nicodemus. John chapter 4, do we know the name of this woman? No. She's known as the woman at the well. All right. Something else. Where did Jesus meet Nicodemus? Where did he meet him? Mount of Olives. Where did he meet the woman at the well? It was in a valley, right? It's in a valley. Okay, now let's look at something else. In John chapter 3, how many people saw Jesus meet with Nicodemus? None. In John chapter 4, how many people witnessed Jesus talking to the woman at the well? Twelve disciples. Okay, how about this one? In John chapter 3, how many years did it take for Nicodemus to give his heart to the Lord. It took three years, about three to three and a half years. How about the woman at the well? Right away, instant. Notice here we are looking at very different things or very different as aspects of the people. One more. 
What was the profession of John chapter 3 of Nicodemus? He was a Sanhedrin. If you were a Sanhedrin, there are only 70 of you. You're part of 70 lawyers. In John chapter 4, what was the profession of her? Not a lot of people know. Some people speculate that she might have been a prostitute. She obviously had a lot of different partners. Now, looking at all this, we see also in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus was part of the church. In John chapter 4, she wasn't part of the church. She was an outcast. So in John chapter 3 and 4, we are seeing here that Jesus is meeting people. Whatever their association is, rich, poor, male, female, day, night, valley, mountain, whatever it is, Jesus has a solution. Thank you. Should have got more than that. It doesn't matter what type of background you are, what you've been through. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter who your daddy was. It doesn't matter any of those things because Jesus will find you. Now, here's the thing. What is the one thing in common? There's one thing in common between the story of John 3 and John 4. They both had a meeting with God, but specifically, Jesus met them alone. Just like in the very beginning, God wanted Adam to fall in love with him alone. We have Eve in the very beginning. God wanted her to fall in love with him alone. And then we find here in John chapter 3, he witnessed to Nicodemus alone. Then John chapter 4, he witnessed to the woman at the well alone. God needs to have a relationship with you independent of anything else. Now let's go in our Bibles to John chapter 4, and we're going to actually look at that story a little bit. We're going to examine some parts from there. John chapter 4, let's start in verse 3. John chapter 4 and verse 3, and give me permission to read by saying amen. John chapter 4 and verse 3. Okay, as we look here in John chapter 4 and verse 3, notice, this is Jesus. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, for those of you who have a fancy Bible, you'll have maps in the back. Where is Judea? Does anyone know where Judea is? Judea is in the southern region. And then you'll see that Galilee is in the northern region. Sure. So we have Judea and that he needs to go to Galilee. Now notice something. Verse 4, we have Judea and Galilee, but it says something very peculiar in verse 4. And what does it say? He needs to go through where? Samaria. So we have this area here called Samaria. Now usually, the Jews, whenever they went from Judea to Galilee, they took an alternate route that went like this. The Jordan River was right here, and they went around Samaria. Why do you think they didn't want to go through Samaria? Exactly. They thought the Samaritans were dogs. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. So here we have something very interesting. Jesus is saying we must go through Samaria. Verse 5. 
That's correct. Jesus was a Jew. Then cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of the Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Now what in the Bible, what does drink represent? What does drink represent? If we look at the Beatitudes, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. So we see here that drink is righteousness. So here we're looking at something and it says, give me to drink for his disciples are gone away into the city to buy meat. I almost look at this as pretty funny because here we have Jesus and he's going through Samaria and the disciples say, Lord, we don't want anything to do with these people. We're going to go eat. It does not take 12 people to grab dinner. But for some reason, the disciples didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. So they all took off, said, hey, you go ahead, have your fun. Verse 9, then saith the woman of Samaria to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God, who is it that saith to you, give me to drink, and you wouldest have asked of him, and he had given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From what whence then hast you that living water? Aren't you greater than our, the well and the drink himself? Verse 13, Jesus said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. Notice what Jesus was promising her. In my hand I have this Kirkland cheap drinking water. I get thirsty, I'll drink it. Guess what? I'll get thirsty again. I'll keep drinking it. But Jesus is promising her something more powerful than this. He's promising her something else. He's saying, if you drink of the water that I'm about to give you, you don't need to keep coming back to this well. You don't need to come back at noontime. You don't need to go here because the water that I'll give you will change your life. Continuing on. The woman said in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. This is real interesting. Listen very carefully. Jesus said unto her, Go call your husband and tell him to come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, You have said, Well, you don't have a husband. Verse 18, For you have how many husbands? Five. And he who now has is your husband and that, you say, is true. So let us count, do some math here real quickly. How many husbands has this woman had? She has had five. And how, what is this person she's working on? The sixth one. Plus one equals six. Now we know here that Jesus is coming into her life. What number is Jesus coming into her life? The seventh. Jesus wants to be that complete, that perfect man in your life. Here we have this woman, she's looking for incomplete relationships. She's looking to men, she's going through five husbands, working on her sixth one. She can't find happiness. And Jesus is going to her and saying, woman, drink of this well, drink of this water, and you will never thirst again. And by doing so, Jesus was trying to be that complete, perfect man in her life. Have you guys found that perfect man? In your life? I only heard one amen. Is there the rest of us all searching for the perfect man? Are we going to the well and trying to dig out 
putting our buckets in this, this well and coming up empty-handed. We see here that throughout time, people are looking through relationships. They are looking at worldly wealth. They are looking at all these things to fill their buckets. This life is like that well, and you're going to go in and you're going to keep drawing that bucket up, and guess what? It's going to be empty. You can never fill that void in your heart except for Jesus Christ. He's the only person who can. He's that perfect person that needs to fill your life. Praise the Lord. Continuing on, as we wrap this story up. Jesus begins witnessing to her. And notice something real carefully. Let's just skip down over here in verse 25. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah has come, which is called the Christ. When he has come, he will tell us, all things. In verse 26, Jesus says maybe some of the most important words in all of the Bible. Jesus said to her, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus reveals himself to this woman. I am that perfect person. I am the Messiah. I am that perfect, that void that's been, that you've been missing out in your life. And we see that even Jesus, when he's talking to the Jewish leaders, he's talking to his own people, he does not admit who he is, but finally to this woman who is seeking with all her heart, Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah. Notice what happens next after this woman, after she embraces the Christ. Verse 28, the woman then left her what? Her water pot. Wait a minute, she went to the water to fill her water pot. She was so thrilled that she found righteousness. She was so filled that she found Christ that she left that dumb water pot. She went out to the city and she began to say, I found he, the Christ. Notice this woman probably had the worst relationship. This, this woman probably had a horrible reputation. No one wanted to take her seriously. But when she came back to the city with her testimony, notice what happens in verse 39. The Bible says, and many... Of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Isn't that powerful? We have this outcast, this woman who is a, a nobody of society, this woman who doesn't even, the Bible doesn't even give a name, she's so unimportant. But then we see that Jesus enters her life, something powerful happens, she changes the things that she didn't used to do. She's She's now, man, I want to go to church. We probably saw that maybe her dress became more modest. The jewelry began coming off. We see now that because she found her beloved, all of a sudden everything came so easy. Friends, as we close, my appeal for you is real simple today. How many of you have found that perfect man? How many? I know for myself, took me 20 years. I went out to Hollywood. I had an internship with a big company. And I was drawing my, my bucket, if you want to call it, in a well. And every time I pull it up, it came up empty. Yeah, I was getting an internship or I got the car I wanted or the relationship I wanted. But it was empty every time I pulled that bucket up. Friends, Jesus wants to do something powerful to you. He wants you to fall in love with Him. He wants you to have an experience with Him. I'm going to share this testimony of what happened at GYC. 
there was a couple of things that happened that made this one of the most powerful GYCs I've ever been to. Not so much the sermons that were preached or the workshops, but the people that I met and the lives that were changed. There was a man who was my roommate, and I had the mistake of looking at his exterior. And he could see the unhappiness in his face and the earrings that adorned him and the, the scars of life. And you can see that he was coming and he was searching. And he came to GYC because of a broken relationship. Otherwise, if he told me he, if he was still in that relationship, there's no way he'd want to come to GYC. But he was heartbroken and he was looking for something to fill that void. And I remember the first day at GYC, the sermons that were preached, the workshops. After that day, all of a sudden you've seen the frown turn to happiness, the smile. You saw the earrings come off. This is a guy. You saw the scars almost disappear from his face. This man, he wanted to fall in love so badly with Jesus. And he said, you know, I don't even know where to begin. And I remember he spent Christmas Eve with me. And we spent all the Christmas Eve, three hours worth of Bible studies. And while other people may have been partying away or watching something or trading gifts, this man was accepting the most important gift, Jesus Christ, into his life. How many of you here have accepted that personal gift, that gift of Jesus in your life? If you have, stand up with me. Make the decision. You say, Lord, I've accepted you. I have that wonderful testimony of what you did in my life. The next appeal I have, did you know that this is the last Sabbath of 2007? We're about to embark on a new year. Did you know, friends, that that perfect man, that Jesus Christ himself, that he wants to marry you? He wants to do something powerful in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to bring you to a better place. And I remember growing up and people would say that they'd bring up in Matthew 22 and Jesus said that there'd be no marrying or no giving into Mary in the new earth. And I'm like, what fun would that be? And I was a little kid at the time. And then in my study while preparing for this sermon, I found this verse. I'm just going to read it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, 13, verse 10, I want you to listen to this. The reason why that there's no marriage in the new earth. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, it says here, But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Those, those, those relationships that you have here on earth, that what you think is perfect, whatever that relationship may be with your husband or wife, in heaven that will be done away with because the perfect man will have entered into your life. My appeal for you for 2008 is this. We saw here that Jesus, how he witnessed to the, these two people, Nicodemus and the woman at the well. I want to challenge you something for 2008. If you who are standing here, if you really have found that perfect man, that perfect love in your life, how many of you are going to dedicate yourself to at least trying to tell or bring one person into the church. For 2008, you're going to make the commitment today. You're going to say, Lord, use me in whatever capacity. Please, Lord, 
I have that relationship with you and I want others to also find that perfect relationship. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Bible. We thank you so much for the principles that we can draw from it. And I thank you for the people who are standing before me that they have found their beloved, that they have found the perfect man, that there is no earthly relationship that can add up to Christ. There is no marriage, there is no relationship between friends that can ever add up to our relationship with you, dear Lord. And I want to pray for the commitments that are made today, that they will look to the next year to at least bring one person to you. That they will make the commitment that whatever they can do, maybe it's their finances, maybe it's their talents, maybe it's the way that they can influence their neighbors or their friends, that they can spend that year telling about the perfect man that they have met. Thank you, dear Lord, for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.